Well, last week we began a new series through the Gospel of Luke, and we are continuing today in chapter 1, verse 26. Uh, This is on page 855 of your pew Bibles, uh, often known as the Annunciation, the visit of the angel Gabriel uh, to Mary. And uh, Luke opened by saying that he was going to set forth everything that had been accomplished in uh, an orderly narrative, an orderly account. And that narrative began with John the Baptist. And as we turn to this passage, it is uh, remarkable the degree to which the birth of Christ is correlated and compared to the birth announcement of John the Baptist. They form, as it were, two panels in an artistic presentation here. And so we want to be uh, mindful of these uh, parallels as well as the contrasts of difference. And so uh, let's read now this passage as we uh, reflect on the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also received a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thus far the reading of God's word. Uh, Join me now in our prayer uh, for illumination. Our Father, we have heard wonderful things out of thy word. We praise you for revealing Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And ask you to give us your spirit so that we may understand the fullness of your truth. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I'm glad to see that we have a good number of children here today. Um, the story of the incarnation, the story of Christmas, is a, a good story for children to begin to learn uh, the basics of their faith. I think we might have more children than adults in the room right now. And so, um, kids, I have a question for you. Do you like birthdays and birthday parties? Yes. Yes. Do you like gifts? Yeah, that's part of the good thing. Cake, ice cream. Um, and... We mark the birthday of Jesus Christ. Uh, We don't know what day he was born. The Bible doesn't give us a date. Um, We don't have a birth certificate. But two of the gospel accounts, two out of four gospel accounts, go to great trouble to tell us the circumstances of the birth of Jesus Christ. And in our text today, we read uh, for the second time, the angel Gabriel in Luke's gospel is going on a mission. 
about six months after he visited Zechariah in the temple in Jerusalem to announce the miraculous birth of a son to really old people. Imagine your grandparents, some grandparents in the room here today, having babies, right? That would be a little strange. Some really old people were going to have a baby, John the Baptist. And we are told in our text this morning, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. And this is referring to Elizabeth's sixth month. It's not talking about the month of June. It's talking about Elizabeth's sixth month of pregnancy. So in the story that Luke is telling us, John and Jesus are connected, as it were. And Luke will close this announcement at the very end by referring to Elizabeth and the sixth month of her pregnancy again. Um, And so it serves as a framework here to remember that Jesus and John are connected to one another. Luke is begging us, uh, he's insisting that we compare these two uh, births. And the opening uh, words set up this parallel, but there's a surprise. So everything's going along sort of like it did before. The angel Gabriel's going with a message, but he goes to a city of Galilee. First of all, that's way out of the way. It's like, you know, uh, an important... Uh, foreign delegation, like, you know, the, the King of England's coming to America to visit, and he's going to go to Mississippi, or he's going to go to, you know, Knoxville, Tennessee. Well, why would he do that? There's nothing wrong with Knoxville, Tennessee, or Mississippi, both places where my wife's family lives, so maybe that's subconscious. But. but the first time he went to the capital, he goes to Jerusalem, where kings and priests and prophets are born and live. But now he goes to Nazareth, and you might have heard of Nazareth. Uh, We've called Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, since the time he walked the earth. But before Jesus, the Bible doesn't know anything about Nazareth. Nazareth is nowheresville. And Galilee is a part of the northern kingdom. And part part of what Luke is wanting us to see here is that when the gospel message comes, it comes with all sorts of surprises. It turns things upside down. Jesus of Nazareth is a little bit ironic, kind of like Johnny Knoxville. Jesus from that out-of-the-way place. And yet he is the king of the universe. And what's more, Gabriel doesn't come to a priest at his greatest moment of service uh, in the hour of prayer when the crowds of Jerusalem are outside praying and the incense is rising to heaven. He comes instead to a virgin. Initially, she's unnamed. Luke just says, and then uh, he was uh, sent um, to a virgin. He tells us that this virgin's name, but initially he's sent to a virgin. We would call her a girl today. Um, Fortunately, we have a few young ladies in the church this morning about the age of Mary, somewhere between 13 and 15 years old. Pretty remarkable. And um, she's a little surprised She's a little surprised. And you can imagine why. Uh, be kind of like a presidential motorcade coming down Mass Avenue and them coming in the doors out there and saying, we'd like to speak with Natasha, please. We have a very important message for her. Or maybe Marine One landing out there and asking to talk to Mary, right? Why? Luther, Martin Luther in his sermon on this passage says, quite possibly, Mary was doing the housework when the angel Gabriel came to her. Just doing her ordinary thing. And Luther, somewhat speculatively, but uh, says, Angels prefer to come to people as they are fulfilling their calling. 
and discharging their office. The angel appeared to the shepherds as they were watching their flocks, to Gideon as he was threshing his grain, to Samson's mother as she sat in the field. The bottom line is that the angel's appearance here in Nazareth to a nondescript virgin of no standing is a surprise. It's a surprise to the reader, to us, and it's a surprise to Mary. And the surprising nature of this announcement highlights God's initiative. The gospel goes and comes when and where we don't expect it. As Jesus says to Nicodemus, the Holy Spirit blows, the wind blows where it will. We don't know where or how. Gabriel's name comes from the Hebrew word for power, gabar. It would be the same word for a mighty man. And El means God, mighty man of God. He is God's power. He represents God's power. And he greets Mary as a favored one. And he tells her, the Lord is with you. God's power is here, present, working for you and for your salvation. Quite shocking news for a young girl. Mary's response is understandable. Why is this mighty man? Who knows? We don't know if she knew he was an angel. Maybe thought he was just an important figure, a person. Why is he even talking to me? It would have been unusual in the culture of this time to address a lowly maiden. Why is he saying I'm favored? Clearly I'm not. I'm doing housework like everyone else. I live in a small village. If I'm favored, what does that mean? I don't look favored. I don't feel favored. This is another reminder. The nature of the gospel. Of faith. The organ of faith, as Luther says again and again, is the ears. It's not the eyes. We don't always see God's favor. We don't always feel it. And yet Mary here is favored. The angel sees her confusion and comforts her. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor again twice. This word that comes from the word for grace with God. Jesus, like Mary, as he grows up, will appear to be an ordinary man. The son of a carpenter. He will be, for this reason, without honor in his hometown. Everyone in Nazareth knows the boy. Maybe he's a little bookish. He hangs out in the temple longer than most. Yet here in this out-of-the-way place... The great son of David, the greater son of David, is born. Not where expected, not when expected, not how expected. It is God's strength working in weakness. And in this surprising place, we learn that God's favor to Mary will be shown in the birth of a son. And three things we'll attend to this Christmas holiday. First, he's a royal son. Second, there is a miracle here of the working of the Holy Spirit. And third... Perhaps greatest contrast to Zechariah, instead of doubt, we see Mary's believing response. Let it be according to your word. And so the first point here of our sermon is the promise of a king, a royal son. Jesus is introduced to us as a royal figure, born in the house of David, whose kingdom will have no end. David's greater son. Mary is betrothed to Joseph, who is of the house of David. And Gabriel says that the Lord will give to Jesus the throne of his father, David. Well, John's ministry uh, last week was presented to us as temporary. He's the forerunner. He goes before Jesus's ministry. His kingship is permanent. John is temporary. Jesus is eternal. He is great in the son of the most high. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus' greatness is related both to his person and to his office, to who he is and to what he does. Unlike his father David, who is buried, he lives forever. Jesus is a great king. And when he says that he is the king over the house of Jacob, he is saying that he will unite all 12 of the tribes. Jesus will unite all people under his rule and reign, just like David did. It was barely a moment in the history of Israel. Just David and his son Solomon, who was able to rule a united kingdom. And so rapidly that fell apart. And so the emphasis here is on two things, his royalty and its eternal uh, character. We remember the promise that came to King David. When your days are fulfilled, 2 Samuel 7, and you lie down on your fathers. When you die, David, I will raise up your offspring after you. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house from my name. And the throne of his kingdom will last forever. I will be his father and he will be my son and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise made to David. Jesus' birth ushers in an eternal kingdom. John is the forerunner. He must decrease that Jesus may increase. Brothers and sisters... Just one word of application this Christmas day. We are members of the royal household of Christ. We are princes and princesses. We are children of the great king. And what a blessing we have that God is calling to us, speaking to us even this day as members of his house. The second main point that this passage draws our attention to and comforts us with is the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah responded to his surprising birth announcement with words of doubt. How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. It's ironic because the angel said that your prayers have been answered. So he was praying for something, but he didn't think God was really going to do it. How often does that happen for you and me? He references his own doubt. Mary, though confused, equally confused, perhaps, as Zechariah with this strange, glorious announcement, nevertheless asks a much more faithful and practical question. How will this be since I'm a virgin? Mary's question presumes that the words of the messenger are true and will come to pass. Though at this point we have no sign that she knows Gabriel is an angel sent from God. Gabriel never gives Mary his name. That's how he responds, remember, to Zechariah. I'm Gabriel. I come from God. I bring the word of God. He has to present his credentials, as it were. She doesn't ask for his credentials. She asks for more information from this messenger that she inherently trusts. How will this be since I don't know a man, is how this Greek text reads. The word virgin appears earlier in the passage. Luke calls Mary a virgin. And this is translated virgin as well. But the the Greek here is, I don't know a man. Mary hasn't yet had marital relations with her engaged to be married husband, Joseph. They're betrothed. Mary knows where children come from. From a man and a woman sharing a marriage bed. Is the angel telling her what will happen after she's married with Joseph? Perhaps you're going to have a baby. Well, yeah, sometime in the future, I hope. 
Or is he telling her something else? What should she expect? What does she have to do? The how here matters. So her question is a faithful one. Now clearly, Mary believes that it is an obstacle to her having a child that she has never known a man. And sometimes, some people like to quibble here and say, well, virgin doesn't necessarily mean that she's never known a man. Perhaps um, Mary just was a young lady. Perhaps it's not referring to her, her innocence. But again, clearly, Mary explains what the term virgin here means. The meaning of the angel couldn't be any more clear. He answers her question in a way that presumes that this child is not going to be born after a natural fashion. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is a threefold answer, as it were, three phrases here. Repeating in three different ways the same basic truth. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is the same language Christ uses in the book of Acts. Chapter 1 verse 8 to refer to Pentecost. But you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. That's the image. Like the image of Pentecost coming though now upon Mary in the incarnation of Christ. And this language of coming upon the Holy Spirit coming upon probably comes from Isaiah Chapter 32, until the Spirit is poured out from on high. This is a pouring out of God's Spirit. So that's the first phrase. The second phrase, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Again, Luke is using Old Testament language. This is the language used about the glory cloud of God when it overshadowed and rested over the tent of meeting. We read in Exodus 40 that Moses couldn't go into the tent of meeting because it was overshadowed by the cloud, the presence of God. Again, the Lord is with you. Mary now has something to think of in her mind. God's with me like that? And maybe she was frightened, more frightened perhaps, right? That sounds like a scary thing. And third and finally, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. The work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Most High in Mary, will be the reason that this child is called the Son of God. He will be the Son of God and the Son of Mary. And the clear import of her virginity and the Spirit's miraculous role is that Jesus has no human father. Joseph is his adoptive father, as it were, the husband of his mother, but God himself gives life to this child in the womb of the virgin. The same truth, uh, we mentioned this in our catechism service, is witnessed in a different manner in Matthew's gospel. Told from the perspective of Joseph, told after the fact, before they'd come together, Joseph perceives, he learns that Mary is with child, and he asks why. And in this case, the angel comforts him and says uh, that this child is from the Holy Spirit. And quotes Isaiah, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So we see here two complementary witnesses from the perspective of Mary and Joseph. Nevertheless, many today, many in the history of the church have doubted this miracle. Come up with ways in which to believe that something other than what is plainly spoken here is said. But Gabriel makes it perfectly clear what is at stake is a miracle. When he says, nothing 
will be impossible with God. What he announces is an impossible thing apart from God. But nothing is impossible with God. And this Greek, again, comes to us, the language of Luke, the language that Luke records from the angel, comes to us from the Old Testament, from Genesis 18. You remember when the angels visited Abraham and Sarah, and she laughed at the promise of a child. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? When this is translated to the Greek, it becomes nothing is impossible to God. Luke is explicitly tying the birth of Jesus to the Old Testament promises, to David, to Abraham, to Sarah, to Adam and Eve. This brings us to our third and final point, Mary's response, perhaps the biggest contrast between these two stories. Let it be to me according to your word. Our passage closes with Mary's agreement with the angel's plan, with God's plan, the Lord's plan. Clearly, the remarkable language about the Holy Spirit and the Most High and the miraculous child on the throne of David has removed all doubt from Mary that this messenger was sent from the Lord. She agrees to be the servant of the Lord. Gabriel's word is received by Mary as the Lord's word. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You see how she equates the word of the messenger with the Lord who sent him. And Luke is presenting Mary to us as a model of faith, even for Theophilus, his reader, right? This word comes to us as a preached word, as a message. But it's God's own word. She believes in and agrees with the word. And there's an important echo here because the previous line, nothing is impossible with God, actually in the Greek says all words, the word word, rhema can also mean thing, all things are not impossible with God. What the promise is really is that all that God has promised he can do. That's what the angel is saying. All of God's words are possible. All of his promised blessings. And so the focus of the angelic message to Sarah repeated to Mary is the reliability of the word of God. The certainty that what he has promised will come to pass. Think back to Zechariah. He was claiming God's promises. He was praying for a child. And yet even his prayers were full of doubt. And this is why Gabriel's response to Zechariah refers to his sender, to the reliability of his words. Remember, he said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. I was sent to preach to you. And yet so many do not believe. Luke is writing so his readers will have certainty, confidence regarding God's promises and his word. Regarding the words we have been taught. Dear brothers and sisters, this message, this blessing of the Christ came to Israel, came to God's own people. They had the covenants. They had the promises. They had the holy worship, the temple, and the tabernacle. And yet so many do not believe. Even in the church today, so many do not believe. But we should have confidence, not only that these words are true, but they're true for us. 
his committing the preached word, the good news to writing Luke is for us today. That we could have a verified record of God's pattern of promise and fulfillment. What God says comes to pass. What he promises to do, he does. In Christ Jesus, every promise of our Lord is yes and amen. For the power of God has no limit. He has the power to forgive our sins. He has the power to make peace. He has the power to raise dead men to new life. And God is present with his people today through his Holy Spirit. Even that same spirit that brings the incarnate word of God into flesh in the womb of the virgin. Will be poured out after his death and resurrection from heaven on the whole church, on us. And it's ours. Well, what we celebrate today and tomorrow. This day is not revealed in scripture. We mark on the 25th of December the birth of our Lord. But I do believe that it is a happy providence for us in the Western world right now. uh, That this holiday comes at the end of the calendar year as it were. Jesus does have a birthday. We just don't know what it is. And as we look back at the year that has passed and everything that has transpired. Bad news, good news, difficulty, war. Tragedy, crime, in some of our homes, death and disease. We can look forward at the year to come. We can have confidence that what our Lord has promised will come to pass. That he will be with us through the valley of the shadow of death. That he will provide for us and protect us and govern us and guide us. For no promise is too big for him to keep. Let's pray. Merciful God in heaven, we do thank you for your word. We know that we don't always feel favored. Sometimes we feel sick, sad, depressed, ordinary, unremarkable, unloved. But God, you are present with us now in your spirit. And your son, even now, is reigning and ruling in glory over his kingdom, which is eternal He's guarding its borders and boundaries. He's instructing his people in their citizenship, their heavenly citizenship. He's feeding us. He's protecting us. And he will bring us home. We thank you for these many blessings that have come to us through the incarnation and birth of our Lord Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. Amen.